It's an Ask LOJ edition of Locked on Jazz with great questions about Hardy's development of players as well as Hardy's own development. Lots of questions about drafting and point guards coming your direction as well. Plus, the MVP race is heated. Who does points gain, says the MVP? It's all next on Locked on Jazz. You are Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider, and this is Locked On Jazz for the 17th of March, an Ask LOJ edition. A fabulous set of questions coming in, touching on player development, coach development, point guard play, point guard future, why players drop in the draft, draft questions as well. So we have all of that coming up for you. Plus, it's a points game Friday. We'll look at the MVP. We'll talk more about how great Lowry marketing has been this year. And we will do our daily lottery. I don't even know when I'm watching games right now what I want to have happen every night. I'm so confused. I'm sure you are too. Uh, Jazz tonight, or Saturday against the Celtics. We actually get back at it. Thank you so much for Rafael Barlow for joining yesterday's show. Hope you enjoyed it. If you do not know, I am David Locke, radio voice of Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked on Jazz. It's a daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, hopefully making it way better to be a Jazz fan each and every day. Thanks so much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen every single day. We are free and available on all podcasts and as well as on YouTube. Join the YouTube group by subscribing, hitting the little bell button to be notified every time we start. Thanks so much for tuning in. All right, let's get right to it. The questions today come in from our group um, of subtext followers. We, we've launched this new trial group of subtext. It's a 14-day free trial. It's because I'm trying it for 14 days to see if it works uh, for me and for us and for everybody involved and then also for you. So um, we'll see. Like, just heads up, there's a chance that like before the 14 days is over, I'm like, yeah, this isn't going to work. I so far think it's just a incredible connection spot, an amazing platform uh, for all of us to connect. It also might be too much for me to handle. So we'll see, uh, but it's great. So the, today's questions all come from our subtext group of people who've signed up for the 14-day trial. Try to reward those that kind of are willing to innovate and try to do fun new things with us. I think this one's uh, pretty great. We're going to be doing it across all of Locked On. So if you have another Locked On show you listen to, eventually that host will launch a subtext as well, and you'll have one-on-one interactions with him and uh, get special insight throughout the day and, um, you know, I, and that kind of stuff. So anyway, uh, you're welcome to join the trial right now if you want to. It's joinsubtext.com slash LockedOnJazz. So that's where we'll start with our questions today. The first two are about development. Um, one about Will Hardy's ability to develop and the other about Will Hardy developing, which I thought was super. These questions are so good. I'm so impressed by you guys. Um, in fact, I'm going to start stealing these for questions for Will Hardy. So here's the first one. Yay, my Ask LOJ will get answered. I'm in the club. Uh, I would like to understand how good is Will at development of these players. To me, it seems insane. Lowry's best year. Walker is a top two rookie. Ochai's huge steps. Then Talon. Then Dunn. At some point, it's crazy to think all of these guys are having their best year. Is Will insanely good at this drip system and accentuating their superpowers? Or do all other teams do this? I, I think this is a great question. And the early indicators are yes. Um, that... The energy and the vibe, and like if you listen to Will Hardy talk about, you know, that he was incredibly conscious of the environment at all times. So that 
that whether that's music playing or fatigue or positive energy or whatever it might be, <clears throat> you you can feel it too. He's always aware of what he's doing. He'll do some wacky things to kind of make the team feel loose at times. He'll day, do days where literally you can just tell his only goal is to have them out there running. He doesn't want them thinking at all. He'll do other days where he wants them thinking. So you can see him do a lot of these things. Um, I do love his concept of superpowers. I was actually talking to, or I got a text, I hope he doesn't mind, from a friend of mine, uh, Steve Nyman, who's three-time Olympian, just wrapped up his probably 20-year U.S. ski team downhill career. And he was talking about how, from a coaching standpoint, the idea of superpowers is just the coolest thing he's heard. Like, just absolutely. And that, you know, in ski racing, how do you find what your superpower is? Um, And then that superpower is what's going to make you better than everyone else. And, And then how do you use get your other skills so that it doesn't, you know, that you survive, but the superpower is what's going to make you great. So I do think there's something to Will's superpower, like that guys are being put in positions to have success. Um, I do think there's something to this kind of drip, drip, drip he's talked about with Walker Kessler and Ochai Abaji. It's been super interesting. I was talking with um, Evan, who's our, I think, I got, uh, I screwed up the other day on some of our titles. um, So I'm now scared to do this again. Um, But um, I believe Evan is, uh, Brad's is in charge of director of player development for us. Um, and he and I spent some time together in Miami and, and I was talking to him about just kind of like, how did you guys know at Ochai at game 41? And how did you know it was time for Walker? And, um, you know, they're just, they are very conscious of what they're doing. Um, and I do think they're trying to put guys into positions to succeed as are most coaches, though. There are some coaches that are putting players into their systems rather. So I think that might be the difference we're talking about here is that, that we've seen Will try. And now we're seeing, you know, we talked about Lowry earlier this week. Like, Lowry's unbelievable off the move. We're now seeing Will put Lowry into positions that aren't great for him. Like, okay, stationary, 17 feet out. You're seven foot one. How are you creating a shot? Like, what are you doing? Because this is your next step in development. But he's not, like, bearing it. My favorite quote all year from Will is that nothing drives him more crazy than a bunch of people sitting around talking about what a player can't do. Them then asking the player to do it and then coming back together to complain about how the player didn't do it. I thought that was a really deep insight into his mentality. So I do think there is something here that Will is very, very good at player development. I do think there's something that most of the players on this roster got an opportunity to do something they'd never done before. I think Jordan Clarkson plays into this conversation as well with moving the basketball and passing and playing in a different style. Um, so I think there's a combination of Will's very good at it. Players have gotten larger opportunities they've got before, but I also think it's, it's very intentional. Um, and so I think that's, um, I think that's worth commenting. That's a great question. Thank you. How have, next question came in. How have you seen Will progress as a head coach this season? So that's really fascinating because my first reaction was kind of a, like, I don't know. And then I'm trying to figure out, well, what would I have seen? I don't see all of it, obviously. And I don't probably see the most important stuff. So how can I really tell you whether or not I've seen him progress? So let me give one thing. There, there were a there were a bunch of plays late, er, early in the year where just something broke down, right? Like whether it was we were supposed to foul or we were supposed to do this or supposed to... And and those haven't happened in a while, okay? So I don't know... I get a little nervous here because it, I'm implying that those happened because he was a first-year head coach and that he's developed out of them. 
or the team and Will have learned how to communicate better as the year has gone on. Like that might actually be it more than Will developing as a coach. But those did happen early in the season. There were a bunch of kind of weird moments where it was pretty clear that like what Will wanted and what happened on the court were not the same thing. We haven't seen that in a little while. So I think that's worth noting um, just in that progression. My biggest takeaway from Will Hardy as a head coach this year is that he's not surprised he's a head coach in the NBA. So while still having a a very good kind of level of humbleness, he's talked a lot about imposter syndrome recently in his press conferences. Um, There's a moment clearly for him when he was in San Antonio when he looked around and was like, wait, Mike Budenholzer had this job. He just left to be a head coach. James Bragg had this job. He just left to be a head coach. Jock Vaughn just left to, had this job. He just left to be a head coach. Like, oh, Taylor Jenkins just had this job. He left to be a head coach. That might have been in Atlanta. Um, anyway, like, you got it, right? You're like, oh, like everyone, like, and I think Will at that point, without being like, this is maybe what's most impressive about him, without being boastful, like, well, I'm just going to be a head coach. He went, okay, I'm going to be a head coach. Let me start getting ready. I have a feeling Will Hardy was named head coach at 34 and started getting ready at 28. And that has been evident all season long. And whether that goes back to Tokyo with the Olympics, when he's in the room with Eric Spolster and Greg Popovich and Lloyd Pierce, and I forget Steve Kerr and I'm uh, and Jay Wright, and they're doing all those basketball talks under, I said Greg Popovich, I think, uh, under COVID restrictions. And so therefore, you know, they're just talking. Monty Williams, I think, might have been in that group. Um, they're just talking hoops the whole time. And he's able to get an insight on how everyone sees it. And he's revealed a little bit more as the years gone on about those conversations. The last one he talked about was how just over time, you get to see how each person's brain sees the game. So he was doing that kind of knowing, well, if I'm in this room, well, as he says, he had imposter syndrome of why am I in this room? You also know you're going to be a head coach in the league. Like that's clear if you're in that room. So maybe my biggest takeaway on Will Hardy and Will Hardy's development is how before he became a head coach. He had thought about it, worked on it, planned on it, um, was ready. I think one thing that is worth noting on Will that has been wildly impressive, and I don't think this is progress. I think his late game recognition of what opponents are doing is superb. Um, so really, really uh, outstanding late game recognition of what opponents are doing and then putting our players in successful situations from that. All right, great questions to open up. Nice job. Subtext group, um, those are, those were all super. Uh, today's show is brought to you by my friends over at Murdoch Hyundai, located at 4646 South State Street, also located in Logan and in Linden. Sent somebody over to Cam uh, earlier this week who wanted to look at a Palisade. Hopefully he gets it, and I'm super jealous if he does because the Palisade's kind of great. The Palisade is the biggest of the SUVs of the Hyundai lineup of cars. You also have the Santa Fe, which we've purchased two of, which is then the Tucson. The remade Tucson looks super sweet. And the Kona is the small, zippier one. Uh, go do the research yourself. I think what you'll see is you get the best bang for your buck, the most bells and whistles, the most safety features for the dollar. And then you decide whether you really like the Hyundai or not because everyone's got to like the car they drive. But if you're going to do it, please stop by either the uh, Logan store, Linden store, or 4646 South State Street. And when you do stop by, please email me first at dlock09 at gmail.com so I can give you the appropriate Locked on Jazz VIP treatment that you deserve. Today's show is also brought to you by FanDuel, the official sports book of Locked On, the official number one sports book in America. 
FanDuel is there for you, and it is time for your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. Just download the FanDuel Sports Betting Sports app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use, and the bonus bet back if your first bet doesn't win. Then you can bet up everything from the money line to point scores to threes drained, all at FanDuel plus FanDuel. Even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with the same game parlay. So don't miss your chance to get the no sweat first bet up to one thousand dollars in bonus bets when you go to fanduel.com slash locked on. That's fanduel.com slash locked on. There's a lot of basketball going on right now. There's a lot of opportunity to have some fun. There's a lot of opportunity to parlay stuff together. There's a lot of opportunity to make every moment more with FanDuel, your official sports betting partner. Thank you so much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen of the day. For your second listen today, how about the 22-minute recap of all things sports? Locked on Sports Today, updating you on everything that's out there. I created that show. If you really want the concept, it's NPR up first for sports. You're too busy. You got a job. You got a life. You got a kid. You got everything. How do I keep up with what's going on in sports? That's it. All right. Let's continue with our questions. Again, these all came from our subtext group today on Ask LOJ. So thank you very much. Um, going through an NBA season, what is one thing that is better than most people realize and one thing that's worse than most people realize? So I wonder um, whether you're asking as a broadcaster or as a player. Um, for a player, I'm sure it's just playing through all the nicks, all the little injuries, all the treatment, all the extra time, all the like that kind of stuff, unquestionably. Um, what's better for the player, I think, is they all just love to play. And I think the camaraderie, like the dinners, the togetherness, that stuff. From a broadcaster, the one thing that's better than anyone realizes is I think you feel like you're a part of something. Um, I always talk about on the road, walking into the arena, off the bus, through the security, into the arena. It's just kind of this awesome rush every single time. Um, that that's just, for me, that's like, okay, it's time to perform. Let's go. Um, I The other one I would share that's better than maybe people realize this might be weird. I, I just feel like I have a chance to be great every night. Like... I don't know what's about to happen. I get to perform. I get to put on a two-hour broadcast, and I'm trying to be great, and that's awesome. Uh, the one thing that's worse than I realize is, is sleep deprivation. Like, you just... Right now, it's great. That last road trip was super easy. It was just really long, but from a sleep standpoint, it was fine. There was not a bad night in there. But you go get one or two 3 a.m.s in the morning at 52 years old, and it doesn't feel great anymore. So that would be the one thing that's worse. But I, I got no problems with it. I love it. All right, let's go to the point guard discussion. If Colin and THT won't be our future natural point guards, what modal point guard is the team looking for in the draft? An aggressive scorer, a cerebral player who makes Lowry, Walker, and the prime, and blank primary scorers? This is a super good question. So I probably, I don't know, because I don't know who a natural point guard is anymore. Um, Taylor is and Colin have tried to do the best job they can. It's not natural for them, is that, like, if we're going to use that phrase. I think that's clear. And if, like, we talk about Will's superpower thing, you know, Colin's superpower is that burst and explosion getting to the rim, and Taylor's superpower is his strength and his power to be able to, to penetrate into the paint. And both of them are going to continue to learn how to use that superpower to make their teammates better. Which, at some point, is a point guard. I mean, at some point, this game is at four or five out. Someone's five out. Someone's putting pressure on the rim. Four other guys are on the outside. The, not, either that... Pressure's coming from a roller or a driver or something, and there's four guys out. And that's kind of what the league is. There isn't a huge variation of how everyone's playing right now. And so, you know, what is a point guard? Danny Ainge's history is he's always liked scoring point guards, right? He had Isaiah Thomas. He traded for Kyrie Irving. He drafted Terry Rogier. 
He's always liked, he's actually like small scoring point guards, but I'm not sure small scoring point guards are going to be the same thing um, in the NBA. Like if you look at, and clearly he understands positional size, right? Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown are two of the greatest examples of positional size. Um, And Justin Zanuck's a positional size guy too. So I'm not sure, but I think it's, you know, someone's got to get you organized. Someone's got to get you disciplined. Someone's got to read the room. Someone's got to understand, oh, wait, we haven't scored in three straight possessions. Let's, let's go get Lowry the ball. Um, so I, I think that's what you're talking about. I do think that player's got to probably be 6'4", 6'5", at this point. That's that's the one thing. Um, can Jordan be a primary point slash facilitator? He had 14 assists the other day. I suppose we have or will attempt to find larger, more defensive-oriented point. Um, thanks. Looking forward to my first listen today. You know, all these, like, Jordan's been amazing this year in his ability to kind of evolve and develop and add the passing skill. Um, And so this gets like, this is really touching into a really interesting conversation. And if you watched Arkansas yesterday, um, you saw these two kids. They're basically top 10 picks. They're both being thought of as kind of point guards. And I don't know that either naturally fits as being a point guard. Um, And so you're talking about Colin and Talon and Jordan and, you know, you know, none of them are Mike Conley, right? But the Mike Conleys and the Kyle Lowry's of the world like seem to be disappearing. And so what is the modern point guard and what is that role inside a game that's going to have five ball handlers on the floor at all times, five shooters, four or five shooters on the floor at all times, four or five drivers. Like if you watch the playoffs last year, if you couldn't drive to the basket, you pro- it was hard to play. Like it was really obvious when you had guys on the floor that couldn't drive to the basket. So you you have to be able to drive closeouts. You have to be able to drive to create the offense, particularly if everyone's switching one through five, which happens more in the playoffs. People have to get downhill. Um, and so is it really as simple as just someone who can get downhill and pass out of driving downhill, which Jordan has shown the ability to, which Colin and Talon have shown development of, and then this point guard concept is much less sophisticated than it once was or is there a lot more to this organization structure feel involving players it's a really interesting question um i will dig around and ask some people this will be kind of i love this this is great um so i'll I'll ask some questions about that around the team my and around the league uh my question today is with the signing of chris dunn does that mean colin sexton's probably out the rest of the year no i don't I don't see those. I mean, I think Collins, we got the report yesterday, Collins out, still working for another week. Um, And, you know, we don't have a lot of the season left. So there is, at some point here, there is definitely a moment where logic kicks in. You're like, oh, is it worth coming back for four days? Like, probably not. Um, But I don't think those are related. Um, You know, Jordan participated in parts of practice yesterday. Collin is another week uh, evaluation and and looking at things with that hamstring. He's... You know, remember Collins coming off a knee injury, which all reports are that if he can get through the first 12 months without re-injury, then that knee, then that the recovery of that injury is really, really good. But that first 12 months is the danger zone, and we're pretty close to getting through the danger zone, so that's kind of great. My question for Asco LOJ is whether or not we should be making win-now moves next year in order to keep Lowry happy. He has two years left and is probably the best contract in the NBA. I feel like staying in asset accumulation mode next year may jeopardize being able to re-sign him as well as wasting one of the two years we have him on the cheap. Um, Again, you guys are amazing. These are great questions. So I looked at this one for a long time trying to figure out my thoughts on it. I'm going to kind of bounce between two sides. So 
I'm about between three sides, and there's only two sides on this. So, no, I mean, so one thing is I think that's important that Danny Ainge has alluded to in conversations I've had with him is that part of what NBA roster building is flexibility and options to be able to react to what comes across your table. And he'll go back to his Boston days and say like, hey, we weren't very good one year. We were pretty certain we were going to go get Kevin Durant in the draft and then we have a bad lottery day. And then we are suddenly not getting Kevin Durant in the draft. And then next thing you know, we're trading uh, our draft pick, which for Ray Allen, and we're trading our other pieces for Kevin Garnett. And now all of a sudden, Paul Pierce, who if we'd gotten Kevin Garnett, may or may not have had a spot on our roster, right? Like if you're drafting Kevin Garnett and you're, who knows, which maybe you're using Paul Pierce for other assets or you're using Paul Pierce with Kevin Dur- Durant. It would been pretty great. Um, but like, you just aren't sure, right? So one of the things that, that I think is really important that Danny talks a lot about is that this flexibility concept is real. These options are real. Um, you know, I think you stay in asset accumulation mode unless you get the opportunity to do the equivalent of the Ray Allen and the Kevin Garnett move. But I don't think you can force it, right? I don't think you can say, well, we have this one player we have to keep happy. And so therefore, regardless of whether it's really out there or not, we're going to press the metal down and we're going to go make and go do that. I think that's where you end up in trouble in this league is when that happens. When you suddenly, you know, insist upon driving something in that fashion, then I think that's when you end up actually in a little bit of trouble is is in that circumstance of um, things. Because I don't think that that's, you know, I don't think that's necessarily the right way to go about building your roster. Your way you go about your building your roster is to be in the position Danny Ainge has been in years past where he has the ability to pounce, fleece, demand, get whatever he wants. And I think that's, it so and then the other one is you know you try to build to keep a player happy it's a pretty dangerous game i think if you run a good organization treat the players well show that you have direction show that you're maximizing what you can hopefully the player buys into to what they think is most important um i love this one do you think it'd be worth trading six or seven first round picks in order to get victor webb and yamas and statistically half picks yeah it might be but i don't you know what the crazy thing is i don't think anybody would take it Whoever gets the first pick, I think the Jazz could offer him six or seven first-round draft picks, and I don't think they would take it. All right, we got two good questions about drafting players, why players switched. I want to make sure we get to those. Um, we also uh, have points gained. Who should win the MVP according to points gained? And we'll do our lottery fun uh, to wrap up the show. So all those things uh, still coming your direction here on the program uh, today. Today's show is brought to you by BetterHelp, betterhelp.com slash locked on NBA. BetterHelp is online therapy that gives you an opportunity to improve yourself and who you are. Um, and that's pretty great. Um, it's a neat opportunity to develop those personal skills to get better at who you are and what you do. Um, and an opportunity for you to improve who you are. So this, what you do is you go get an online therapist from BetterHelp after answering a quick questionnaire and they will help you out um, with that at betterhelp.com slash locked on NBA. That's betterhelp.com slash locked on NBA and you get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash locked on NBA. It is time now for our Nissan player 
of the week. Who was the most electrifying player for the Utah Jazz this last week? This is not a hard answer. This goes to our guy, Kalen Horton Tucker. What an incredible performance Talen had the other night uh, in Charlotte, dominating the ball game. Absolutely uh, an electrifying performance uh, that is matches that of the Nissan Aria, the new electric car that is out by Nissan. You can check it out and get find out all about uh, the best of this new electric car and the power and the hold that the Nissan Aria has at uh, Nissan. USA.com, but how about Talon Horton Tucker? Brilliantly fierce, fiercely elegant, just like the brand new 2023 Nissan Aria that's pin Aria that pins you to the, your seat power and premium intelligence all in one electric vehicle. The EV for people who love to drive. Shop now at NissanUSA.com. And special thanks and special congratulations to our guy, Talon Horton Tucker. And if you've got something to do this weekend, oh my goodness, this has just taken over our entire company in the most incredible way. It is Ultimate Pro GM. This is the ultimate geek out, totally awesome uh, mobile game by uh, Ultimate Pro Basketball GM. If you've ever dreamed of becoming a GM, manage your basketball franchise, well, dream your dream can come true. The game is definitely for you. Manage every statistic aspect of your team. Play through the season. Lead your team to glory. You're responsible for hiring the right coaches and assistants, trading and trading players, making draft picks, navigating the franchise through free agency. Take some time this weekend and download the Ultimate Pro Basketball GM. It's completely free and playable online. Play on the go as you want. You'll have a blast with it. I'm telling you what, our NBA hosts are just all into this. So Locked On Jazz listeners, you get 100% free boost with the franchise when using the promo code Locked On in the game store. So make sure you check it out to download the game. Visit probasketball.com, scan the code, or look into the app stores. That's probasketball.com. Ultimate Basketball GM, start your dynasty today. Before we do points gained in our lottery, as you're watching our young players develop and getting ready for the draft, what basic NBA skills, three-point shooting, passing, rebounding, are easiest and most likely for a young player to develop? Which ones are the hardest? Uh, So rebounding, steals, and block shots are the college numbers that usually translate the best. Everyone believes that shooting, Leaf Tulane of Lockdown NBA Big Board believes this, talks about all the time, that shooting is the skill you can develop the most. I think that's probably true. Um, and then, I don't know if you can teach passing. I think passing might be, you either have that vision or you don't. You can show people and teach them how to make reads and, and what read, if this happens, if the low guy comes over, here's your pass. And they can usually make that one pass, but this like this pass to remove, the Jokic pass, that's just innate. The Doncic pass. The pass I I refer to as two remove. There's like one natural pass to make, and sometimes that someone rotates into that, and you get a turnover. And then there's the pass that's like, oh, you actually saw two two steps ahead, two removed from where you are. That pass, I'm not convinced is teachable. I like that question. Good job. Um, are there any themes for players who outperform their draft slots recently that teams may need to weigh higher in the draft evaluation? So this is how Walker slipped. Is that centers became kind of blasé last year? In the draft, and there's a lot of really good centers that dropped. Duran's really good. Williams and Charlotte's really good. Walker Kessler's really good. 
They all dropped, uh, the kid in uh, Toronto's going to be really good, Coloco. Um, they all dropped in the draft last year because like the seven foot drop big became kind of, uh, like the vibe was off on those players last year. And so, you know, what is the type of player that maybe the vibe is off of right now? I do think rebounding is becoming more and more important. Like if I was drafting this year and I had a 6'5", 6'6", 6'7", 6'8", guy who was a good rebounder, I, I might use that. That would be a big thing for me. Um, on that the final great question today was ask LOJ is in your opinion out there this is six season is a huge success no matter what um, I feel that way the players feel that way if they miss the playoffs or the play-in um, I know they want to play no I mean Lowry's balling he wants to <clears throat> he wants to make the playoffs make the play-in so um, you know these guys want to keep playing they're competitive they're stars they they got here for a reason and so they they do really want to they do really really want to see if they can make the play-in or the uh, at this point all right, let's go to our who should be the MVP according to points game. So the number one player in the league is Kevin Durant at 4.3 offensively, so that would not put him into the MVP category. And Steph Curry's at 4.1. His team probably doesn't get them. By the way, Steph's doing 51-44-92 at 35 years old. Nikola Jokic is a 4.2 positive and Joel Embiid is a 3.9 and Giannis is about a one point something 1.0 okay so from an offensive standpoint Jokic and Embiid are superior to the others here's why this is such a hard debate Jokic is a plus 4.2 and this does not account for all of his passing and his assists that he's creating for everyone and Embiid's a plus 3.6. So they're pretty similar. Jokic is better. But then Yo- Embiid's defense is probably worth at least 0.6. But Jokic's passing is worth something. So the reason this is such a heated and tough debate is because of the fact that it's a really good discussion and it's not clear. Top 10 NBA players going to points game. Kevin Durant, Nikola Jokic, Steph Curry, Joel Embiid, Dame Lillard, Lowry Markinen. Damana Sabonis, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Rudy Gobert, and Nick Claxton, and Jared Allen, and now Anthony Davis. Jimmy Butler also a plus 2.0 into that group as well. Uh, The player that has me most intrigued after watching him is is, uh, Suggs in Orlando. He's really having a historically bad shooting number. His... His... uh, He's a negative points game player, and there's part of me that saw stuff out of him that's interesting enough that my he's minus 1.1, not like minus 2.5. He's shooting 42% from the field and 35, 32% from three. He goes to the line 9% of his possessions. Like I, I was pretty intrigued by watching him. They have him playing off the ball. He's not playing with the ball in his hands. Markel Fultz and other guys are doing that. Can he play with his, the ball in his hands? He's just still, to me, Super interesting player. Um, the numbers are not good, like if you're projecting him out, but you might take a, he might be worth um, somewhat of a gamble um, in there. So it's just an interesting player that I don't know that he ever becomes available either. Uh, Markel Fultz in Orlando is really just deserves great credit for the way he's kind of evolved and developed. He's a minus 0.6. Point guards are hard. There are not... The only point guards over 1.0 are De'Aaron Fox, Malcolm Brogdon, Kyrie Irving, Tyrese Halberton, Luca, Shea, Dame, and Steph. Point, Colin Sexton's next at 0.9. D'Angelo Russell at 0.7. Darius Garland at 0.6. I have 
Donovan as a shooting guard. Probably shouldn't. Jalen Brunson's at point six. So if you're over, if you're above average as a point guard, you're pretty good. Um, and if you can get yourself to touching right below league average, that's probably okay as a point guard. It's just a really hard position. Um, and point guard, shooting guard now feels like it's, you know, somewhat melded together when I sit there and have Donovan Mitchell as a shooting guard. If you want to add in shooting guards that are over one, um, actually Austin Reeves, James Harden, James should have been a point guard, Donovan Mitchell, uh, Trey Murphy, New Orleans, Kevin Herter, it's too bad to see him get hurt, Josh Green, Zach Levine, uh, all join into that group. Buddy Heald is at .8, Brad Beals at .7, Desmond Baines at .7. So again, harder for guards to get big numbers. Devin Booker's at .6. Um, Josh Hart, New York's .5. That's why they're making that jump. Um, so harder for point guards to make to jump in there. All right, let's play the lottery. Here we go. As the lottery starts, Jazz are tied for 10th pick with New Orleans. Minnesota's in the 16th slot, and Philadelphia's in the 28th slot. Those will hold. We play the lottery, and the number one pick of the draft goes to the San Antonio Spurs. Number two to Detroit. Number three to Charlotte. This was almost chalk. Number four, Orlando. Number five, Houston. Number six, Portland. Number seven, Chicago to Orlando. So Orlando would have four and seven. Number eight, Indiana. Number nine, Washington. Number 10, New Orleans. And number 11, Utah. Oklahoma City, LA, and Toronto next. So the Jazz would finish this with the 11th, 16th, and 28th pick of the NBA draft. That is Locked on Jazz today. Thanks so much for tuning in. Postcast after the game Saturday. I'll be back with you Monday. Have a wonderful day.